Hey folks, my name's Michael Coughlin, and I invite you to join me for each and every episode of Discourse, of course, an engaging return to the long-form interview in an age of ever-shortening attention spans. I'll explore the minds and careers of today's more interesting creators, thinkers, decision-makers, bean-counters, and worker bees. That's Discourse, of course, from your favorite podcast provider. Greetings, folks. My guest today on Discourse, of course, has been an influence on my career and on that of many others. To say he's a prolific filmmaker could be construed as an understatement of some kind. He's acted in over 65 motion pictures and or television programs alongside some pretty legendary names. He's a writer of engaging stories, an inspiring director, and a nuts and bolts producer. His latest project is a TV series called Age of the Living Dead, and it pits the survivors of the human race against the ruthless vampire army regime. You can see season one right now on Amazon Prime Video. Folks, it's a pleasure to introduce to you the inestimable Simon Phillips. Michael! <laughs> I don't... I'm good. Doing? I don't know what I'm supposed to do after that amazing introduction. I, I feel, I yeah. feel like there should be somebody else on the line. Well, I'm exhausted, it's... and I can tell you this podcasting is a is a grind. <laughs> well, it's good to chat with you on this format as opposed to any film set I see you on. <laughs> Absolutely. Listen, um, you are perhaps one of the busiest, uh, hardworking people I know. Uh, but that's not saying much because I used to hang around with a bunch of stoners and heavy metal people. So, uh, but uh, I'm just going to say, how, how do you do it? Uh, because you wear so many hats and sometimes all at once, because if it wasn't clear from the introduction, you do direct, write, uh, produce and perform. And sometimes all of those in one production yes indeed all of those are work by the way apart from performing i think i think acting is the right. only thing that's like uh and i'll tell you what acting gets fun when you do all the other jobs as well because when you're acting people leave you alone because they go i know you need to concentrate on your lines or your, you know sort of and, it, and it's the only time i get roughly left no as soon as they call cut and it's the end of the day people are thinking about you've got to put the producer hat back on and think about call sheets for tomorrow and you know and all those other exciting things so acting is the funnest all, the... all of those uh, i'm sure you can attest to personally anyway yeah and um i i just find it so inspiring to work with uh yourself and your team included because you have assembled a ragtag fugitive fleet of <laughs> right. uh, very talented people. Oh, they're all, you know, anybody and... that's in my circle, which includes the great Michael, um, is, uh, <laughs> is uh, you know, they're sort of the, they're people for life type thing. Sort of. So, uh, yeah, they, I, I usually manage to persuade them to do very crazy things. <laughs> but uh, but, uh, but then they good. see the product in the end, they're like, oh, that, that isn't how I thought that was going to look, Sam. And I was like, I, which is a nice way of them saying they thought it was going to look terrible. Um, or they, didn't, uh, or they didn't really know what was going on. And I can attest to that. I have seen it mm. firsthand. Uh, let's go back a little bit. How did you find yourself 
uh, entering this performance business, this storytelling genre, this uh, idea that you can uh, make believe and turn it into a career? Uh, well, if I go right, right back, my mother was an actress. Uh, my uh, stepfather is in a is in a band, uh, a very well known band, and they. I suppose so. I had a, a bit of an artistic um, thrust there early on, um, but my actual, my biological father was a lawyer and was a, a bit more straight laced, um, sort of. So I had to make that's the, where uh, the producer comes from. That's it. So there's a, there's a meld of everything in there. But uh, to be honest, it was very simple for me. Really, I really loved doing the acting, um, but I couldn't. And I went to drama school and I did all the things you're supposed to do to be an actor. Um, and then I just couldn't stand, mate, waiting for the phone to ring, you know, sort of because uh, you'd, have to, <laughs> you'd have to wait for the phone to ring and uh, someone else is in control of um, of my fate. And I was I'm not I'm a bit too much of a neurotic and a control freak to allow that, you know, sort of. So I thought I can do, you know, it's like it, it's a business. It's any business. It's supply and demand. It's easy to understand once you get into it. You do have to get a bit of experience in it. But um it's like it's a business like no other. So it was either it was a choice of that, mate, or keep doing, um, keep acting on the weekends, as it were, and get a Monday to Friday nine to five. And I just, I, I just could, I, I tried that once at a temp agency, selling pet insurance, and uh, you know that 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 just wasn't going to work for me because <laughs> uh, I was like on the phone going, people are like, what we do here is really important. I'm looking around the room going, we're at a call center selling pet insurance. This is not really important. <laughs> you know, like I, I feel like I'm in the twilight zone. I was like, did she just say that was important? That's mad. Oh, I hear you. I hear you. Um, I uh, was fascinated by one of the steps you alluded to drama school. Yes, um, and. You were an RSC um, uh, product. I shouldn't. I, that's a bad way to put it, but you know what I mean. Uh, I'm uh, jealous of that. I have performed Shakespeare myself, but I never, you know, did it at that level. Uh, and everybody in the acting world, both in North America and in Europe, always perceives that as something of a feather in your cap. Can you tell me about your experience at RSC? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's you know. It's not any different at, at RSC as it is anywhere else. Performing Shakespeare is performing Shakespeare. There's a, there's a sort of snobbery around like where you get to do it. You know, like, if you do it at the Globe, people are like, oh, you know, if you do it, which I never did, by the way, but you know, I did the the tours stuff. You know, so I, they they tour out with these sort of um, theatre and in, in education TIE workers, we call it, um, and they go to schools and colleges and people, you know, places that study the the texts, you know, various uh, things. And it's, uh, it's grueling, you know, is the only thing that it is. It's, but then people want it to be grueling. It's a bit like boot camp for the army. People think, ah, oh, well, if you earned your uh, stripes in Shakespeare, you're, you're an actor, you know, sort of. And, and there's a, I don't know how much of that is true, but it's, it's certainly, it's a very, it's a great experience. Uh, but, um, you know, I'm, not, I don't look at it like boot camp. I'd love to jump back into it again at some point if the opportunity was, was right and the time allowed. But uh, yeah, it's it's like no any other joint. I don't know if, you know for those out there who are part of theatre groups or touring theatre groups. It's the same. You know, you have your boss, you have your stage manager, you have the production manager. Um, you know, the director. It's funny. The director in these things tends to take a back seat once the tour is on a little bit um, because right. the, the format is locked. So it's one of those things where a director becomes less important as the time goes on because the ensemble know the internets of the shows they kind of they you know you manage your own props and everything that's um 
that was something I got taught, uh, you know, sort of uh, don't be expecting prop masters and stuff like that. You know, you should, you, you have to rely on yourself, you know, sort of, cause you're the one that knows. And that was also the, um, an exercise I'm sure lots of actors do, which is know everybody else's lines as well. Uh, as like, you don't have to know the lines, yeah. but if that, if your friend on stage, your co-star forgets his line, you are both in shit. And it's that you can't be afterwards going, <laughs> well, I didn't forget my line. And you're like, uh-huh, but if, this, if the show goes down the pan, it, you know, like it's on you both. So, uh, you only, uh, if you're in front of a, you know, like 300 people yeah. in an audience, uh, you, you know, you learn, learn your co-star's lines. It's like, what's the, what's the worst that can happen if you know his lines? <laughs> you know, nothing. A- agreed. Yeah, yeah, that's where your improv skills come in. Uh, yeah. Listen, there are so many projects in the pipe uh, for uh, Dystopian Films. Uh, that's a production company that uh, you are largely uh, tied to. Yeah. And... Let, where do we start? Because I mentioned Age of the Living Dead. Let's talk about uh, Age of the Living Dead uh, because it's just a wonderful, engaging story. So yeah, we, uh, give us your so uh, give us your pitch. Age of the Living Dead is um, is a bit is America. This is so topical right now. It's America ten years from now. Sort of the disaster that it becomes if a if a vampire when a vampire sort of infection breaks out, I'm not talking about the election now, this is just about um, science fiction. Um, (laughs) So it pictures a very sort of dystopian, post-apocalyptic America in 10 years, where America has been isolated from the rest of the world because it's considered um, ground zero for this uh, vampire infection. But obviously um, it's not as simple as that because what happens is is, uh, the vampires and the humans that are trapped inside America have come up with a kind of peace treaty whereby the humans live on the west coast the vampires on the east coast and the humans agree to supply blood like in the form of like donating blood every uh, week to the vampires so that the vampire ensuring that the vampires don't attack them but it is a very fragile peace treaty uh, a ceasefire if you will and one that both sides intend to break over the course of the show okay um i binge watched season one good ah, and, good uh, you're the one <laughs> yes uh i i just i was hooked right away and uh for me the thrill of any uh fantastical or science fictional story is um is a the story b influences that you detect or or elements that you recognize from from your fandom and uh what i'm talking about is i could see maybe nods to buffy the vampire oh, slayer and i love uh, i love certain buffy nods buffy. yeah yeah you know and for, for as a fan it's amazing to see those kinds of things of course age of the living dead is something completely different and in fact i would call it maybe a little more hard-edged um oh so it's yeah. just wonderful uh, you're you're a big fan of these kinds of things tell me a little bit uh, about that because i know you're a star trek geek too yeah um there's so many things that i could talk about right now but you go ahead uh well it's yeah it's, it's exactly what you said michael i mean i grew up in the it, it, well i didn't grow up in the 90s i'm an 80s baby but 90s is where you sort of form your um I often think you form your personality, your teens, like, you know, you, you get to flex in different areas. I love Star Trek. And I love Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, and, 
you, you know, all those things. More recently and not in the latest seasons, I've, I really love The Walking Dead. I love the idea of a post-apocalyptic TV show. We'd always seen post-apocalyptic movies, but we'd not actually seen a continuing uh, sort of a narrative sort of TV show about post- and Walking Dead kind of broke that a bit and they were like, oh, well, this is how you make a post-apocalyptic show. Um, and worse. and the early seasons of Walking Dead, I think, were fantastic. In in fact, the idea for this show is a bit of a ripoff of The Walking Dead. I mean, even if you, you take the sound, the basic sound of it, Age of the Living Dead, sounds a bit like The Walking Dead. You know, it was sort of it was right. formed up that way in my mind, and I solidified it with a few salespeople because uh, they, you know, and my my the pitch before we even started filming this show was it will be The Walking Dead with vampires. You know, sort of, and that, and that was right. my one line elevator pitch to make the show happen and people were like i i get it yeah okay go you know well it's it's a familiar language for people right something they can identify with right yes away. and there was there was and, all uh, those um you know not uh, buffy is maybe a bit 10 years too old for our audience but like you know there, recently there was the vampire diaries there were a lot of cool vampire shows you know that were brought to popularity uh, arguably by twilight again which you know made vampires kind of cool for a while there um and you know, yeah. but, but there was no vampire, you know, sort of I was mixing vampire with po- post-apocalypse. You didn't get those two things often together, which was weird because you should. You know. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> tell me about some of the uh, there's so many performers. And that's the one thing I admire about you guys, because uh, there is the school for um, uh, breaking productions, entry uh, into the big stage uh, <laughs> that you keep it simple and keep your cast limited and your locations easy. Uh, you guys have just thrown those uh, tenants out the window. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, we, you know, it's the cast of Age of Living Dead, by the way, are like second to none. I know most of them personally, like uh, before Age of Living Dead. And they, you know, they're just kind of like-minded people. I mean, and I mean that as they're very talented actors. They're all very talented in their own right. But they understand, uh, tell, you know, telling the story and particularly the way that we would execute a story. We're a little uh, 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 rough around the edges, I think, about um, pr- production. You know, we don't always have the fancy trailers or the, you know, but we what we do, every penny we have production wise, we usually throw up on the screen. Like when you see it and it's done, you're like, man, something looks like a million dollars. And we have had not had a million dollars to make it, you know, sort of. But right. I've needed actors to do things for me like um i make them you know i was like hey i need you like for instance like the one of the easiest things i get them to do is like bring their own costume you know sort of and i but i work with them on it i was like if it's as as long as it's not an army uniform or something very specific um i work with them on it and go right i need to see it let me see it in the if i you know i get them to distress the costume and in the end i find that actors are always able to do that because they want themselves to look the best you know that they can they Absolutely. they want something that fits right they want something that looks right for the for the show you know sort of so it's easy to empower people like that sort of and then you go and then i don't have to spend as much production budget on uh, costume you know sort of and they, they, and these i have one of a hundred tricks of lowering my overall budget but which keeps the money on screen so that i can afford you know tanks and guns and explosions and think you know other stuff that makes us look good um you know sort of and uh, i find i find actors are kind of willing to help with that so i i, I still treat it like back in the theater days i treat I, I treat my 
fellow cast uh, like they are kind of part of the ensemble and they're responsible for their things. You know, it's just like when you leave your gun down one day, when you remember where it is for the next day, you know, so there might not be someone to tell you where it is, you know, so, so store your little stuff in a, in a little pile where you, you know where it's going to be when you come back for filming tomorrow. Yeah, and that reminds me of some of the great legends in uh, film and television, like Viggo Mortensen. Oh, yeah. With his sword from That's Lord right. of the Rings. It became... Yeah. became part of his life for that uh, the duration of that entire shoot and yeah. it really helps an actor on his journey i guess yeah there's no harm in it cool. isn't there in people living in it a, a little bit whilst they're whilst they're doing it and you know, as you know michael when we're at these roughs these rough sites these you know uh, like these abandoned fallout shelters or things like this you know like that's we're staying roughly somewhere near there you know sort of this is a very much an on the road production usually you know sort of so yeah um, tell me about some of the places that, uh, some of your name actors are coming from. I'm seeing, uh, some of these, uh, cast members on other programs, on other streaming, uh, media outlets, uh, you know, Quibi, Netflix, blah, blah, blah. Oh yeah. I mean, the, the, the Age of Living Dead cast are very wide, very, very, yeah. very um, Deji Loray, um, who, uh, plays, the uh the, the president's um chief ex- you know the chief whip as it were and we would call them in england but uh they're uh chief of staff <laughs> in 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 america he's on he's currently on season seven of bosch and he and uh the, the amazon show bosch and he's been there since day one yes. on that one so that one's done very well for uh daisy daisy and all from, ter- ter- terrific terrific show. absolutely terrific terrific. daisy's amazing in it and he's uh he's one of those guys daisy could have left us ages ago uh, because he's busy doing that, and uh, he always makes time, and I, uh, you know, I appreciate that. But then we knew we knew Deji way before he was on Bosch. That's how how long <laughs> how long right. we've known Deji. Al Sepienza, another fantastic actor, right? Uh, you know, he's come from. Uh, I mean, we previously worked with him on No Easy Days, but I mean, he's from The Sopranos, House of Cards. You know, on he he he, he yeah. hits every streaming main media. I mean, he's in lots of films. I mean, Jesus, he was in Taken Three. He, he's in a he's in a few like a few big big shows and stuff like that. Um, and he's he's always a cast favorite of ours as well. Sort of. So um, that's that, that, that's uh, another one for the book. These these are sort of my troupe. Uh, we know Peter Barrett. I've known for about fifteen years. He's one of our English. Uh, cast members in the show so i often overlook england because the show is all about america and everything but england is uh, a big part of the narrative because it's the outside world's view of what's happening inside america as well uh, yeah there's... there's a worldwide uh uh multi-story weave happening which i find really intriguing it's such an international uh product it's oh well amazing. wait till you see season two <laughs> I've been told, yeah. Okay, I'm looking forward to it. It just gets bigger. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, listen, we have covered much of uh, Age of the Living Dead. Season two is coming out. Uh, do we have a date? Oh, I believe or, Mar- uh, March March just... 2021. Sorry, is the date so I've been okay. told. So I, I, I think that's okay. realistic. I, to be honest, the show is ready right now, but. Uh, these guys need a bit of marketing right. time and stuff. They kind of, just because the show is ready doesn't mean they can farm it straight out. Um, so, right. And I'm very, of course. And I'm very, very pleased, obviously, to say we're going on to season three as well. So, yeah. Yes. Congratulations, be a, by the way. Be a fun summer. <laughs> 
there are other projects, though. I mean, uh, there's, there's, that's not it. Uh, tell us about, uh, there's an exciting Christmas slasher horror on its way. Uh, right, so you can, can shed a little light on that. I can. So just today, in fact, we have released our trailer for our Christmas horror. And the reason we released it so early, you're saying, why are we releasing this on the 1st of October? It's because we made it into Fright Fest, which is a huge British um, film festival for horror movies. Uh, so we're very pleased to have made it through into Fright Fest, um, which is a, a great, great result nice. for us. Um, so we released, in conjunction with that, we released the trailer today. And it's on its way to America, December 6th. I'm not sure where it's coming out, December 6th, actually. I must ask somebody about that. But the release date for the US and Canada is December 6th. So... Uh, I'm very excited. The release date in the release date in the UK is uh, November uh, November second, I believe. Um, so yeah, uh, it's and it's a so this uh, slasher, which Michael is also <laughs> in, um, was actually delayed. This is a bit of a behind the scenes. Was delayed from last year. So we were had the movie complete for last Christmas, but not. We just didn't have it in time to do the proper sort of warm up on. Uh, publicity and all the sort of distribution things you need so we we sat in blood in the snow theater last year watched the premiere of the movie and then it immediately had to sell the cast it would be another 12 months before it would see the light of day because obviously it's a christmas release and you can't if you're going to release it you have to release it at christmas so it instantly made a year delay uh, so i'm very excited yeah be. michael's in this i get to i get to uh to, i think it gets throw an axe in your face michael it's quite nice yeah, there seems to be a theme developing. Uh, I have. With, now that you've said it, my... I've, I've only just thought, yeah. like, every story I can tell about you in a movie, you get up horrifically murdered in the end, I'm afraid. But we yeah. all have our skill sets. Each each brings his own unique performance to a picture, right? You should think about that, though. That why? What is it about <laughs> you, Michael, that makes people want to stab you in the face? He's still out there. They were violent, they were crude, and they were dangerous. There's my Mrs. Claus. Have you been a good girl? Mm -hmm. I've been a little bit naughty. Me too. He bided his time. Shit! He made his plan. He killed 30 people. He burnt down that whole aside. Don't let her get inside your head. What's my name? What if it's an actual list? Say it! Say it! Say it! What's my name? Santa, is that you? Uh, 
let's move on uh, from that uh, intriguing picture, by the way. Really excited about that one. Yeah. Uh, but there's more. Mm-hmm. Um, stealing Chaplin. Oh. I have big news about Stealing Chaplin. Stealing Chaplin. I've got big news about it. Again, it's, um, it's, it's a wonderful story for me that uh, I felt. So I've, I've been holding on to this for a while. I've known about a story, this story for about 10 years. And the real story is, is that two, most people don't know this, Michael, two people, two brothers tried, to, uh, d- uh, sorry, did dig up the body of Charlie Chaplin after he died. They took it from his, the grave robbed it, as it were, took the body and tried to hold it for ransom to the family. And obviously they eventually they got caught and so on and so forth. But they had, <laughs> they had the body in the coffin in their living room for about two weeks. Um, whilst yes. this this escapade was going on, at the time it, you know, it, it sort of it ran amok in the media. It was, you know, it was everywhere. It was this was like this was fantastical, and somebody had dug up, you know, dug up Charlie Chaplin's body. So I thought it would make a great movie, you know, in the kind of Guy Ritchie, you know, with these Guy Ritchie, these Matthew Vaughan movies, they're kind of like crime movies, but they're sort of like comedy crime because the characters are kind of funny you know sort of um it's very much a crime yeah. story that's going on but it's told with a bit of a wink and a nudge to the camera you know which i quite like so i've always thought that this would be a great project um i took it to doug phillips who's a bit of a writer and uh, works with us on several fronts on several things and he came up with a wonderful script and we, uh, I had the, my basic idea was that we wouldn't tell it in 1977, which is when it happened, but we would drag and drop it to modern day Las Vegas. Um, okay. And tell the story again. It's sort of inspired by a true story. So the idea is, is that you, you have to sort of suspend. I don't think most people know where Charlie Chaplin is buried, but he's buried in Switzerland. Um, but in, in our story, he's buried in Vegas and the story plays out in Vegas. And it's a wonderful story. Again, I've got Al Sapienza. Uh, from surprise there, I've got Peter Woodward. Um, Ken Ken Bresses is in in this with uh, Doug Phillips, who's the writer and also plays my brother in this. Um, and we've got a very special star in this, uh, Wayne Newton. If, I, if people know, yeah, Wayne man, just legend, just legendary, Amazing. just legendary. And what a what a wonderful, what an endearing uh, scene that is. Yes, it's just yeah. I'm very very happy about that. So uh, and the movies come out. The movies are real. Uh, I can't wait for people to see it. Um, it's a real feel good um, kind of. It's funny and it's kind of crime at the same time. It's that perfect balance of stuff. And Paul Tanter, the director, has done a wonderful job in what I think is his first crime comedy sort of type thing. He's sort of very nice. Sometimes. These movies, the directors don't know what they want, so they end up being too funny or too violent. You know what I mean? Sort of, and then they lose the audience. But I think we've done a very good sort of PG thirteen sort of feel on it. You go where it's you you get the crime and the crime is there, but you get the comedy as well. And I think it keeps you entertained. And I, I hope uh, I'm very proud of it, and I hope people like it. So I think uh, Paul's yeah. done a great job on uh, sort of wrangling that one, which is a hard one to wrangle. Um, so, and I know that. Absolutely. And now uh, yourself and uh, Mr. Tanter, uh, you have worked on many projects together and really uh, come over from uh, the old country, from uh, England to North America to do much of your yeah, work. We like to say it, call it headquarters, Michael. Uh, right. So yes. Remember that most of you guys should be getting your orders from London. 
<laughs> yeah, well, we the queen is still on our uh, twenty. Well, there you go. So, I mean, what there you, you say? go. Now <laughs> you're lucky. We're still giving you orders. We gave up giving the Americans orders years ago. Now look at them. Yeah. Now look. See. Yeah. I mean, when see, in doubt, look exactly. to the old country. Exactly. That's, Wonderful. That's. A... <laughs> uh, we talked about some of the uh, many uh, successes. Uh, we didn't even get to uh, this was America. Maybe briefly, a little while we're talking about what a mess that country is in. Uh, okay. We have many friends there, and we want the best for them. Uh, so yes, this uh, is this is maybe not maybe perfectly yeah. timed. The yes, story absolutely. has come along a, a a warning of what could happen. Maybe. This Indeed, was America. It, this was America. Was is um, not inside my usual wheelhouse of stuff. It, it's um, uh, Jamie Bailey is the director, writer, producer, man of all, um, and he's made a a very heartfelt sort of passion project. I think is what this is America has turned out to be. Um, very nice story. Uh, the story of how I first met Michael, which to me will always live in my heart, Michael. No, um, thank you very much. Yes, <laughs> you know, um, but it's it's what it, the, the the basic gist of the story is is that what happens in America it's, ten years from now, if Trump wins uh, next month, uh, this is where America is heading. Obviously, it's uh, it's a passion project of Jamie's, and it's very uh, anti-Trump. I think it's fair to say. Um, right, and and it's just sort of yeah, like a cautionary tale and a warning tale. Uh, essentially, for me and I think my fellow co-stars, the story is really about a father trying to smuggle his uh, daughter out of America into the safety of Canada, whilst being pursued by the state. And in this story, Michael represents the state. So there's a lovely sort of a there's a lovely trifecta of characters. For me, the story plays out between us three characters. Um, your Michael's character pursues my character and my character is trying to get my uh, estranged daughter across the border and there's uh, it becomes a bit sort of like a father daughter road trip where there's a reconnecting because they're, uh, they're she's estranged from him so uh, yeah it's it's a wonderful story i try not to think of it as the big story which is the the political commentary that Jamie uh, likes so much, is the backdrop that he's sitting again to me it's a a story about a father and a daughter and, you know, the trouble that they're in with the law sort of, um, and I can't, I don't want to ruin the ending for people. So I don't want to say too much more about it, but I think it gives a bit, it gives an interesting comedy, but also very nice dramatic. If you just took the story on its own, I think it stands up on its own as well. And uh, shed a little light on our uh, upcoming starlet, uh, Caitlin Turner, because she really uh, blew me away. Oh, on location when we were performing those scenes. Yeah, on location and in the final film, I think she wasn't one of those things that you, you, you know, when we saw her, when we saw her doing her stuff, she was amazing. And then when we saw the footage, she was also amazing. You know, so I have seen the opposite of that happen, by the way, like in the past where somebody looks amazing. And then when it gets to, when you get into the edit room, the dark, damp, you know, basement type edit room, um, something is lost in that sort of translation. Not the case with Kaylin. Kaylin was uh, a fantastic find by Jamie. Um, I didn't know her before this uh, show. And she's going to, I think she's going to rock it. Yeah, she was a very natural performer um, and very, it's with Kaylin, it's all in the eyes, you know, sort of. And you, she was one of those, she had a sort of innocence. You could tell exactly what she was thinking, which is great um, for that. And I think she's, I think Kaylin Turner's going big, big places. Very yeah. good. Um so now we've covered uh, the bases, uh, and I know there's more. We could go on we forever could. about all the uh, projects uh, yeah. coming coming soon. 
But uh, obviously, in a in a field like yours, not everything goes as swimmingly as as we <laughs> hope. Uh, maybe share some of the darker moments, the memorable moments for the wrong reason. Uh, if you can shed any light on that for oh. some upcoming uh, filmmakers. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've had, Michael, every problem you can ever imagine on set. I mean, and it, you know, from people from people dying, actors dying on me in the middle of shoots, uh, to any problem you think of, I, I, I have had it. Um, one of my uh, favorite stories is uh, from, we were doing an old TV show uh, called Dystopia way back in 2015, five years ago now. And we were filming in Virginia, Chesapeake, uh, Virginia. And um, we were filming in an old abandoned factory. And in the factory, there was a, right. a safe, like a massive old grand safe that stood on four legs, like, you know, big, huge thing, three tons, you know, like, and it was rusted out. And it was, you know, it's been there since the 1920s, you know, sort of um, very old. And the idea was that the guy that owned the building was, he goes, yeah, everyone loves the safe. Everyone wants to open the door and have a look, look inside it. You could fit like it's huge. You could have fitted like, you know, two people inside it, you know, it was huge for the day. It's not like a walk-in safe, but it was sort of a standalone safe. And the only reason nobody ever moved it is because it was too goddamn heavy, you know, so it was no, no, no small feats. They just let it rust in the corner sort of type thing, but it's a nice feature of the building for sure. If you ever saw this place, um, Anyway, we're going, yeah, we're filming it and we're filming this room. And I, I really love the safe. So I was like, look, man, I want to get the safe into the show, but I need the door to be closed, you know, sort of. And we'll pretend as per our story that there's something locked of value inside it. Uh, you know, sort of, it, it, again, it was a post-apocalyptic show. So the fact that it was a rusted old safe was fine. Um, you know, so that was, that was okay. Anyway, the production designer, a guy, a guy called Jay Tuthill, very nice man, said, yeah, don't worry, Simon, I'll get that shut for you. You know, you go and film your other scenes and when you come back, that'll be all shut. We go off filming our other scenes. <laughs> As we're filming our other scenes, Jay and two of his art department assistants are trying to get this door closed. They get a hammer out. They've got the door closed. It's like within an inch of closing. Sort of, it's just sort of rusty and it's just, you know, putting up a bit of a fight. They start trying to hammer the door close. It, you know, it just needs a bit of love and persuasion to make it close. As, the, <laughs> yeah. as they are hammering this door closed, it unlocks an ancient booby trap in the safe and a glass, a, a glass ball of cyanide drops from the bottom of the safe onto the floor and like breaks. Like, so it's like a, and like gas is coming out of the bottom of this safe. This safe is a hundred years old. And this thing, the hammering on the door has set off some, you know, this ancient booby trap, whatever. So that, it, you know, that's how it would be. And nobody knows about this. The production designer's like, what the fuck was that? You know, they, they literally have no idea what's happening. Um, and it's cyanide. It's a glass, a glass vial of cyanide that is designed with someone's trying to break into the safe. It drops. And that's why it's standing on all fours because it drops. The drop will uh, break the glass vial. Um, oh man! Now, oh my god! So they guys, they immediately leave the room. All my my three art department guys, Jay and his uh, Kirsten, and a few. They all have to go to hospital, decontamination, get their clothes burned. We we have to care, you know immediately. We don't know what's going. These guys are coming out of the building, kind of covering their eyes. We're thinking, what the hell's going on? Like, you know what? You know what happened? And they're like, they're not really able to tell us because they don't know. And then and then me and wow. Paul Santa are standing there, and we're like, okay, cancel the filming day. The day's just started. And like, get everybody 
Yeah, all right. Get everybody home. Cancel the fumigate. A police car turns up. An ambulance turns up. Another police car. A fire truck turns up. And I'm like, I'm thinking, right, we're in trouble here. Because, you know, sort of, uh, okay, I was like, Paul, you go. And just in case I'm in trouble for doing something, because I don't quite know what's going on yet. And he, Paul, Paul is kind of yeah. like, no, 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 we're here now. Like, we're, 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 let's face the music together here. We didn't quite know what was happening. You know, and I'm like, I don't know, man. This feels like we're about to be in big trouble. I'm saying it like as a helicopter lands with a hazmat team on it, you know, sort of, uh, who are getting, oh, getting out in the God. fire suits. Anyway, it's, you know, the building, owner, finally, and then every new person turns up, who's in charge? And I'm like, yeah, um, yeah, I'm in charge, yeah, yeah. And that's why I try and get Paul, Paul to leave me. I'm like, Paul, you leave, because if I get in jail, I need somebody on the outside here that's going to get me out of jail. Um, and I can't, you know, I haven't really... <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, and he goes, is this your building? I'm like, it, it's not my building. And he goes, what are you doing in it? Filming. We have permission to film, so, you know, like, but every guy is like, you know, he's trying to work out whether to arrest me or... And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> and he goes, there's some sort of, you know, poison gas leak in here. And I was like, we we don't know. Anyway, we, we didn't go back in the building. Was, you know, you know, and anyway, yeah. all these people. Wow. Uh, the, the hazmat guy comes out, confirms that it's cyanide, you know, sort of, oh, sorry, tells us, actually, it doesn't confirm it. We didn't know what it is. Um, he tells oh, right. us what it is, and he tells us that all these, uh, these safes are built like this. It's a secret, right? They never used to publish the blueprints of the safe design because obviously, if you were a bank robber back in the day or you were going to rob the place, you would know that, well, if I just put a pillow or something underneath the safe as I'm trying to open it, that glass will never break, you know, or whatever. Right. So yeah. Uh, yeah. so the, lots of these things, are, you know, the guy, the hazmat guy has seen it before, not very often, but has seen it before because people don't know that it's such a secret that it, it never really got out. So unless you knew about it, you wouldn't have a clue. Um. And it's right in the middle of filming. Wow. And I need to get back inside this building. Like, so I'm like, I have to, I've canceled a whole day, which is a big deal in filming terms. And I'm like, ah, oh, but it's, I'm also shot into continuity. Like I've started filming half the scenes in this building. So I need to be able to get back in this building and quickly. I have a cast assembled in Virginia, you know, like I'm not from Virginia, you know, we're all staying, yeah. staying in hotels and costing money every day. We're there. <laughs> and the building owner turns up and he's like, he, he's the guy that showed me around the building. And he's like, thankfully he's a good he's a good old virginia boy and he's like he goes ah, i didn't know. he goes i didn't even know that that was there you know like he goes and i've had he's owned the building for like 40 years you know sort of he goes and he did right, he did right. so he's like look they're charging us five thousand dollars to clean it either like you get if this is a chemical spill and you should have known about it then there's sort of a not a fine but like a yeah, a cleanup fee that you have to pay. And he goes, if you go half on it, I'll let you back in the building. And I was like, yep, that's fine. <laughs> sort of, uh, we'll do that. Okay, <laughs> let's make a deal on the moment. Yeah. Uh, do. And that was the biggest, like, that was, at the time, that was the biggest problem I'd ever had. I uh, had a different problem, but I mean, you know, this will never happen again. So I was like, yeah, this is one of those weird problems. Once you've been in the game a while, those sort of things start to crop up. <laughs> Random one-off problems. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's how bad it can get, kids. That's it. So unless anybody uh, has ever had three of their art department, you know, exposed to cyanide as part of a scene, you know, like, then yeah, you should get in touch with me. We, we have lots to talk about. <laughs> lots to talk about. Simon, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us on Discourse, of course, today. And uh, folks, look out for Age of the Living Dead on Amazon Prime. Season one is streaming now. Season two on its way in March of 2021. Simon, all the best to you, my Thank friend. Thank you very much, Michael. You take care now.